If we've been in the series, in this series called The Gospel According to John, for this is our sixth sermon, so about a month and a half now, and we, we've looked at the first two chapters of, of the Gospel of John, and in that two chapters, we've seen there have been many people uh, came and encountered Jesus. In the first chapter of John, we've seen the gospel, uh, the John, John the, the John the evangelist explaining or introducing to us how uh, about John the Baptist. So, and then we see in chapter two how the people in the wedding um, met Jesus and encountered Jesus. And then last week we look at how the people in the temple, the Jews, and the money changers, the the people who sell the animals in the temple encounter Jesus. So re remember, the Gospel of John is written with one goal, with one purpose, and that was in John 20, chapter 20, verse 31. And I'm just going to read it for us again. I know we've seen this, but it's good to remind ourselves the purpose that John the Evangelist wrote this book for us. He says this, But these are written, the Gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So that's the purpose. And there's no wonder in the first two chapters, we've seen many people came and met Jesus, encountered with Jesus, and the Bible says, and they believe in His name, and they believe in Jesus. So, and in chapter 3, now today we're going to look at chapter 3 verses 1 to 15. Um, this is perhaps one of the most important chapter in the Gospel of John, if not in the entire Bible. Um, so this is very important. This is also where we, we you know, if, if there's a, if a Christian would remember or memorize one verse, it would be from this chapter, the verse from this chapter, that is John 3, 16, right? So this is so important, this chapter is so important, and I'm excited for today. And, and we, we may have just began on, on this journey, okay? I know this is our six sermons, and, and, but there, there will be about 50 sermons on, on the Gospel of John that I'm, I'll be preaching over the next few years for us. Uh, and, and many people will encounter Jesus in this book, in this in these 50 sermons, in this, you know, Gospel of John, and, and many will believe in His name. And over the centuries, over the, over the millenniums, over the history of Christianity, many have read the Gospel of John and believed. And we are on that journey at the moment. And, and, but I want to ask these questions. If, if we've been looking at John 1 and 2, many encounter Jesus, see Jesus perform miracles, or signs, as John the Evangelist say, and believe in his name. The question is, is that enough? Uh, I believe most of us listening and tuning in this morning say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus' name. I believe in Jesus. The questions that I want to ask is, is that enough? Is believing in Jesus' name, is, is that what it means to be a Christian? So that's what I want to throw uh, out to all of us and Jesus encountered uh, in, in chapter 3 
here in verses 1 to 15, we read Jesus encountered a Pharisee, a Jewish leader named Nicodemus. And in, in this passage, Jesus explained to Nicodemus what it means to be a Christian. Okay, and let's, I'm going to read for us in uh, verse 3, John 3 verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, that, this is the second time, I think, I believe we, we, we encountered when Jesus said, truly, truly, or amen, amen. So instead of at the end, Jesus said in front, amen, amen. This is true. Um, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what? that's what we're going to address and look at this morning on the issue of born again. So we're going to look at three things. Why should we be born again is the first thing we're going to look at. And the second thing we're going to look at, what does it mean to be born again? And finally, how to be born again. So three things. Why should we be born again? What does it mean to be born again? And how to be born again? That's what we're going to look at. Uh, with the help of this uh, passage that we have before us, John 3, 1 to 15. The first thing, why should we be born again? You see, some of us, some people believe that to be a Christian is different to be born again. Um, born again and Christian are two different things. Um, they think to be born again is a type of a Christian. So you can be a Christian, but <clears throat> you perhaps can be a non-born-again Christian. And I'd like to present to us, uh, based on what Jesus said here, that to be Christian is to be born again. They are not two distinct things. Uh, Born-again Christian is actually a redundant phrase. Uh, because there's no such thing as not born-again Christian. So to be born again is to be Christian, and to be Christian is to be born again. So to say, I'm a born again Christian, that's redundant phrase. And, and, and you know what a redundant phrase is, right? You know, I'll, I'll let, let me give a couple of examples. A free gift, that's one. Uh, because that's, that's redundant, because gift is free. Uh, advance warning, there's no such thing as warning that is not advance. Uh, then it's not a warning, it's a news. Um, and result. Final outcome, armed gunman. Can you imagine there's a gunman without without arm, right? That's not a gunman. So armed gunman, uh, unintended mistake. Well, all mistakes are unintended. Uh, spell out in detail. Well, you cannot spell things out in not detail. Unexpected surprise. Well, all surprises are unexpected. So born again Christian, I believe. Um, it's a redundant phrase. Jesus said in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, do you see that word there? Unless, and again he said in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless, do you see that? Unless, that means there's no such thing as enter the kingdom of God, see the kingdom of God, be a Christian if you're not born again. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 3 and verse 5. Unless, unless you're born again. Okay? Now, what it means then, what Jesus is saying is to, what, well, in the 
according to what we read here, to be born again Christian is the only way. To be a Christian is to be born again. And that means a disciple. You cannot be a Christian if you're not born again. You cannot be a Christian if you're not a disciple. That's what we just read. That's, that's really pretty much the summary of it. Uh, to be born again is to be a disciple. And to be a disciple is to be a Christian. And they, they all, they're all the same thing. But we like to make distinctions here uh, often in church and in, in our culture. Uh, that's why we have a, a bond. We could even be super extremely redundant by saying born again, born again Christian disciple of Jesus Christ. We can say that, but it's, do you notice how many redundant words there are? Um, so why should we be born again? is uh, what we want to look at and well because Jesus said unless unless in other words there's no other way because simply there's no other way if you want to be Christian if you want to enter the kingdom of God if you want to be able to see the kingdom of God if you want to be a disciple that's the only way to be born again Jesus said again in verse 7 so John 3 verse 7 do not marvel that I said to you you must be born again. Now, the word all is not there, uh, but if you're using ESV Bible, if you look at the footnote on that verse, the word you here, it says is plural. So Jesus has been addressing uh, Nicodemus, saying you must be born again. Now Jesus turned to all of us, to all the hearers and the readers of these words of Jesus Christ. You all, you who are tuning in this morning, you must be born again. There's no other way. See, some of us are growing up in church perhaps have, uh, depending on your uh, uh, upbringing backgrounds, Christian background, uh, denominational background, you may have certain image of being born again. Uh, perhaps a negative image of born-again Christian as Christian who are weird and extreme. Uh, so you just say, I'm, I'm a Christian. Uh, well, I'm not like those born-again Christian who are kind of weird and, and extreme. Some of us feel that way um, about, or maybe still have that um, image of born-again Christians. You see, that's something that we, I believe, we've been groomed to hate. The word extreme, right? Born again people are extreme Christian. And we, we, we are groomed, the media, uh, our society groom us to hate that word extreme. Uh, because our, and it makes our image of extremists, being an extremist is what? Is a terrorist, uh, a suicide bomber. That's what comes to our mind when we think about extremists, right? And we think to be a Christian, we need to be moderate. We need to be balanced. To be a Christian is not to be an extreme person, but to be a balanced uh, person. Again, that's I believe that's another thing that the world is trying to indoctrinate us or infiltrate the church. To be an extreme is bad. What you need is to be balanced. Uh, I like to tell us uh, from what Jesus is saying here, uh, and and the, the entire Gospel of John, really, there's nothing moderate. Uh, there's 
nothing quite balanced when it comes to be a disciple of Christ Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be extreme. Uh, Jesus, that's why Jesus were, his hate was hated by the, 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 the religious leaders, by the people. They, they, they didn't say like, ah, oh, yeah, that's crazy person, Jesus, just leave, leave him be. No! Uh, people who encounter Jesus experience two extreme, uh, have to expect two quite extreme experiences or, or reactions. On the one hand, they love and admire Jesus and they worship him. But on the other extreme, they sought to kill him. No one who encountered Jesus say, well, yeah, that's just the crazy Jesus. Uh, Man, no, either you come and to love him and to know him and worship him, or you come to sought, come to seek to kill him. There's nothing balanced or moderate about that reactions. Uh, this balanced and moderate reaction towards Jesus, towards Christianity, it's a modern approach of Christ of, of, of view. That try to infiltrate the church that I think is not biblical uh, because there's nothing moderate being a Christian uh, people will think you are crazy now the question is uh, have any of your friends uh, non those who do not believe in Jesus think that you are crazy or they think you, you you're just like one of them except that you go to church on Sunday which is not. Now I'm not suggesting that we are to be extreme in a way that we, we kill people to be a suicide bombers, to be a terrorist. No, be far from it. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus teaches us quite, an ex quite the opposite uh, of, of you know, the mindset of a suicide bomber, that kind of extremes. Uh, Matthew 5 verse 44 says, Matthew 5 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus teach. And then in, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Being extremist is not go out to kill people, but to be killed for people, on behalf of people. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be extreme. Out there to kill and to hurt people, but willing to be hurt and willing to be killed for the sake of others. That's what it means to be born again. So if your non-Christian friends do not think that you are crazy, perhaps you haven't been living a Christian life. Let's think about that. Because to be a Christian is not to be moderate and to be balanced. To this world, to be a Christian is to be to live in a in in a extreme lifestyle in a crazy way that the world do not understand. God, imagine this: there's nothing balanced or or moderate when it comes to our God. Imagine this, right? Think about this. Uh, a God who, who created everything 
and can do anything. What would a God like that do to his enemies? The all-powerful, all-knowing, who can do anything, who owns everything, what would a God like that do to his enemies? The Bible says, a God like that lay down his life for his enemies. Now that is extreme. That is crazy. Now the reason I believe it is acceptable for our Lord Jesus Christ to ask you and me, Christians, to lay down our life for our friends, to be killed for our faith, to live a life that is unthinkable for the world is because Jesus himself have lived in such a way for his enemies. That's you and me. Therefore, it's reasonable for Jesus to say, lay down your life for the sake of the kingdom. Lay down your life for others. Second point, what does it mean then to be born again? Uh, many people say they are Christians because they believe in Jesus, right? Most of us here tuning in this morning, perhaps in that category, we say we are Christians because I believe in Jesus. And hey, here I am on Sunday in church. I am a Christian. I, you know, what more can I do, right? Um, but Jesus makes a, a distinction between a mere followers, and we've seen this, right? between a mere followers and a disciple. Jesus make a clear dis distinction. Jesus does not want followers that gather a crowd that, that come and flocking, flocking him. He, he wants a select disciples. So Jesus make a clear dis distinction. You see, by the end of chapter two, many people believe, we're in chapter three now, but by the end of chapter two, many people believe in Jesus. The Bible says this in, uh, let me recap, uh, let me read for you, chapter 2, John 2, verse 23 to 25. John 2, 23, 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Not a few, many. When they, said, when they, when they saw the signs that he was doing. They believed because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing. But Jesus, this is the interesting thing, that word but, right? So this is now contrasting, saying that many people believe in Jesus' name because they saw the signs and now the word but to contrast this. Like, well, Jesus does not appreciate that. It's not a good thing that those people, many people believe in his name because they saw the signs that he performed. That's why the word but is in there. It says, but Jesus on his part <clears throat> did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about men for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew people's heart, whether they are followers or whether they are disciples. So there's in a sense... Jesus is saying by the end of chapter 2 here, well, there are many who believe in Jesus' name because of his miracles, because of the sign he performs, but Jesus did not 
and trust himself to them. And now, in the sense, chapter 3 gives us a, a different picture of what being a disciple means, what being a true disciple, being a Christian means, that is to be born again. What's that mean? What that looks like? Okay, so there's people who believe, uh, but also there are people who really believe in a sense, right? Now, so that's in chapter 2. Uh, people believe because of miracles, because of the signs, when they saw the signs. In a sense, they believe Jesus because of what Jesus can do for them. Jesus performed miracles in the wedding, give them free wine, free flowing wine, abundant wine, good wine. That's why they follow Jesus. That's why they believe in his name. Uh, so they do that because what Jesus can do, uh, what Jesus can do for them. And some of us in church this morning believe in such a, in this kind of manner as well. We believe in Jesus because we believe what Jesus can do for us. Jesus can bring heaven to us. Jesus can heal my children. Jesus can make my family well. Jesus can give me a good job and career. Jesus can protect me. Jesus can do this and that for me. That is the mindset of mere followers, not disciples. Uh, seeking favor, seeking what Jesus can do for them. But Nicodemus here, in chapter 3 is rather different it's very different uh, let, let me read for us John 3 verse 1 to 2 now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews the man came to Jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him uh, you see what's happening here? Uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus quite differently to the others. Not like any others we've seen so far, definitely. Uh, remember people's reaction uh, when, when in the temple last week, when we look at how when Jesus was in the temple, driving these people out of the temple because they're selling animals and changing money and all the stuff, treating the temple of God like the marketplace. Remember the Jews' response in verse 18, John 2 verse 18. So the Jews say to Jesus, what side do you show us for doing these things? So that's their response to Jesus. In other words, they say, prove to us, Jesus, that you have the authority to do these things. Prove to us that you have this authority. And who do, in, in other words, the Jews saying to Jesus, after Jesus done all this drawing, people out of the temple said, uh, who do you think you are, Jesus? Who the heck do you think you are, Jesus, for doing all these things? Prove to us that you have the authority. So those are the people who encountered Jesus in chapter 2 in, in the temple, the Jews. Now Nicodemus was a Jew. He's a Pharisee. And he approached Jesus quite differently. He didn't come to Jesus and say, prove to me. Who do you think you are? Uh, people, seek, people were seeking signs from Jesus. Nicodemus, see past the signs. Nicodemus did not only see the signs. Nicodemus, see the person of Jesus. He's not so amazed with the signs that Jesus performed, you see. Anyone can be amazed with the signs. I mean, the most skeptics of all people 
can be amazed with miraculous signs. But that's the point though, right? Nicodemus is being contrasted here by John the Evangelist to those people who seek Jesus, who believe in Jesus because of the signs. Nicodemus sees past the sign and he sees Jesus. He sees something deeper here, not just the signs. Uh, let me illustrate this. What does it mean to see beyond the sign and to see Jesus? Have you been on a road trip before? Uh, I'm sure most of us have been. Uh, I have been. But let me ask this. Have you been on a road trip without GPS? Some of you are probably too young. What? You, there was a time without GPS? Yes. Uh, I've been on a road trip without GPS. There was no GPS back then. Uh, we, use, we use Mac. Uh, we use a printed out map uh, and we, we would look out for streets, road signs, okay? Turn left to go mound, whatever, if you're going to the mountain, whatever, right? We would pay attention, pay close attention to the road signs. But imagine when we see the signs, you know, Mount Buller, for example. Mount Buller, uh, 50 kilometers, and we would stop the car we would stand by the road, we would admire the sign that says Mount Buller. Do you see how ridiculous that is? To stop and admire at the sign and be satisfied with that sign that says 50 kilometers to Mount Buller. See, all those miracles, all those signs are pointing to Jesus and Nicodemus understands that. He sees past the sign. He goes straight to Jesus. He understands there's something deeper here. That's what followers of Jesus did, you see. They just admire the signs, but they do not admire Jesus. Not so with Nicodemus, right? So what does it mean then to be born again? Uh, Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Mere followers did not see the kingdom of God. Mere followers only look out for signs and miracles and wonders, but they do not see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again then, to see the kingdom of God? That is to see Jesus as king. Not just, in, just as some miracle worker, not just as someone who can make your life better, not just as someone who can take you from hell to heaven. That, that is to see Jesus as king. That is to see the kingdom of God. Now, when you, when you have... When you are in the kingdom of God, when you see Jesus as king, then you realize how ridiculous it is to see Jesus as someone who serves your needs, as someone who can do favor for you. If he's king, if anyone who's doing favor, it's us. We are the one who serve the king, not the other way around. That's why... I say disciples are radical, are extreme. Because they see the king, 
they behold him. If you don't behold the king, uh, your life will not be radical. Your, your life will be balanced, moderate, will not be radical. Now, be, maybe you can be radical for a short period of time if you don't behold the king, if you don't behold Jesus. You would be kind, you be generous, you serve the poor, maybe. Because you, you know, in the spur of the moment, you are motivated to do that. But let me say this to you. If you do not behold the king, you will run off gas. You will, you will run out of motivation sooner or later. You know when that sooner or later will come? It's when you serve someone, when you love someone, and that person did not appreciate you back. When that person did not um, love you back, they, they, they even despise you. And you would then suddenly realize, why am I doing this? Why am I loving this person? Why am I serving this person? He or she doesn't even care. Doesn't even know the sacrifice that I've put in here. That's when you realize you have not been doing it for the king. You haven't been doing it for Jesus. You've been doing it for yourself. You seek gratitude. You seek appreciation. You seek people to thank you and to love you. So I want to ask all of us this morning listening, is Jesus the king in your life? Or are you still the king of your life and all that good deeds, all that serving that you do is to serve you, not to serve Jesus? Because we can easily do that, you see. From people observing from the outside to the people observing from the outside, they will see, well, you know, he is serving. Uh, he comes to church. He gives to the poor. He put in the offering. He does all that. But the question is, who is he doing it for? Why are you so generous? Are you doing it for yourself? Or are you doing it because you behold the king who has done all that for you? This leads us to our final point. How then to be born again? I know I, I sped through, I, I gone through this passage really quick and really fast. And because this is so rich and there will be so many things that I, not, I won't be able to explain to us. So therefore, I want to encourage all of us to, to spend time in this, you know, chapter 3, chapter 4 to, also actually, and just spend time in this, uh, do your own, have your own Bible study. Even though I know some of you think I've been too slow, yeah? Like, you know, what you, you're only on chapter 3 on, on the 6th sermon, uh, and there will be 50 sermons, you see, on, on, on this. And you say, well, you've been too slow. No, well, let me tell you. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, uh, a great preacher and teacher of the Bible at uh, Westminster, chapel in London, he preached 28, 28 sermons on chapter 3. I'm going to preach two or three sermons, I think three, maybe two, uh, 
uh, on chapter three. So there's there's a lot that we you, you're gonna miss that um, I won't be able to go through. So so let me just say that okay, there, there's a lot, especially on this final point, how to be born again and what does it mean to be born again. Uh, there, there's a lot here in the 15 verses. So please don't miss this point, uh, how to be born again, in the short, uh, concise summary that I have. So we, we've seen that to be born again is to behold Jesus as King. Right? That's what we've seen. And that is exactly uh, what Nicodemus did. And remember Nicodemus, who, who is who, who's Nicodemus? He's the Bible says in verse 1 and 2, he's a Pharisee, he's a ruler, and Jesus addressed him as teacher. Right? So, Pharisee, ruler, and teacher. Nicodemus, he was educated. He was, he was not just some gullible person. He's well-educated. He's an honored member of the community, well-respected. And yet, he come to Jesus. He come to Jesus. What, what does it say about that? Someone who's respected, someone who's well-educated, who's perhaps quite wealthy, yet he comes to Jesus saying that with all the achievements, all that he owns, he's not self-sufficient. He's not self-satisfied. He came to Jesus not as someone who is able. He came to Jesus as someone who is not able. Who is incapable, even though with all his reputation, all his degrees, all that he can do, he come to Jesus with humility. Uh, now, we cannot be born again, brothers and sisters, be a disciple of Jesus when we still believe that we are able, that we are capable people, that we are smart that we are educated, that we, we can do things. See, the early Christians, they, those who are receptive of the gospel message, are those who are mostly poor, oppressed, vulnerable, uneducated. Why? Because those are the people who think they're nothing. They're poor. They got nothing to prove. They are incapable of doing much. Now, but here we are, you know, in the 21st century, on Sunday, today on Sunday, many Christians flocking to church, thinking that they are able coming to church with all their achievements, all the great things that they've done in life. What a stark difference, isn't it? Let me illustrate before we close. So that I want this to sink in. What does it mean to come to Jesus thinking that we are able and thinking that we are not able? What, what does it mean? Now let me ask this: have, have you been a crowded bus on a crowded train, where you where you sit down, but then it's so crowded, uh, so many people are standing, but then you notice there's one pregnant woman standing, 
and you're sitting. And you know what it feels like being a good Christian, right? You want to do the right thing, don't you? But here's the problem. Uh, you're not quite sure if that woman is pregnant. You know, yeah, there's a bump there, but it's not quite big enough. You know, I, I don't want to offend her. Uh, it could be first trimester, so there's a bump, but it's not big enough to be sure that it's a pregnancy, right? Uh, so, you know, what, what do you do? You know why there's a dilemma there? Because you know, if that woman is not pregnant, she would be so offended because you would say that she's fat. Right? But yet, on the other hand, if she's truly pregnant, she will be so thankful and so grateful for your sacrifice, for giving up your seed to her. You see the difference here? To those people who are able, they will be offended by the message of the gospel. They will see, why do I need somebody to help me? I am able. Why do I need that? The only way we can enter and see the kingdom of God and behold the king, the only way is when we see ourselves as unable, incapable, on our own. Some of us perhaps need to feel that way, to see ourselves that way. The gospel is offensive to those who are able because they don't need help. And, and these people would see Christians as weak. Someone, people who cannot handle life and, and they, they would need an imaginary God to help them. Right? However, uh, let, let us not deny this. There are some people who call themselves Christians and in church who feels the same way. Who feels the same way. Who thinks that they are able. And they're, they're saying, God this is what they believe. God help those who help themselves. So this is what they believe. You do all you can. Uh, on the parts that you cannot, you pray and you ask God to do it for you. Now, let me tell you, that's not the gospel. The gospel says, you and I are dead. Dead people cannot help themselves. In fact, dead people do not know that they are dead and need help. Christians are not those who help themselves and where they cannot help themselves, they seek help from God. No, we say we're dead without Jesus. We cannot do anything apart from Jesus. So how to be born again? And what's the requirement to be born again? One word, nothing. Nothing. And I like how Tim Keller says it, about to be born again, about being born again, the requirements of being born again. And I quote, all you need is nothing, but most people don't have it. So let me ask, do you have nothing? Let us pray.